Hello and welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie, and it's a great pleasure to be joined today by Mr Robert Murray, who is the author of the Grocer's Boy Trilogy and The Spirit of Robbie Burns. Now, Robbie has produced in the Grocer's Boy Trilogy uh, a series which has been very popular with readers, um, running as it does from his early days in grocery delivery through a career which has spanned a number of years, uh, going into different sectors, including further education and uh, trade information through to the corporate world, which is the subject of his third book. So, Robbie, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, always a pleasure to have a a chat with you. Now, this is the third volume in your Grocer's Boy trilogy. In what way do you feel it differs from the first two books in the series? Uh, (coughs) There are one or two ways in which it differs, I think, Tom. First of all, the the time span is quite uh, significant because in my first book, going back to the 1950s, it covered a period of seven years. That was me growing up as a messes boy and a paper boy and uh, gradually finding my feet into the grocery world. Uh, The the, the middle book covered a period of only six years. That was when I was introduced to the world of grocery management uh, without realising it and somehow I found myself lecturing in the Dundee College of Commerce and then following a, a year or two in the Grocers Institute those six years were quite formative in uh, my development. I didn't think it was my development at the time <laughs> these things were happening. But along in uh, 1969, I joined a company called Watson & Philip, a food distribution company based in Dundee. A well-respected company. I knew of it. I didn't know a huge amount about the company. But little did I realise that I was to be 33 years employed in that company, commencing as a training officer uh, for a few years. And then I was the one and only personnel manager the company ever had until its end came in 2002, but we can talk about that part later. But uh, So the differences were in the 1950s, we're talking about, in my world, the old-fashioned days of black motor cars. Uh, Washing machines were hardly known, TV sets or small uh, screens about the size of an A4 page. Shops were uh, counter service and shops in those days closed at lunchtime. It's just another little significant thing of what was going on in the 1950s. My middle book took us into the era of um, TV. Uh, Imported motor cars were finding themselves coming to the UK and then of course in my world self-service was being introduced into the grocery trade. Then moving forward into the 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, we were certainly into the supermarket era, uh, the developments of stores becoming uh, ever, ever larger. Uh, The main big companies in the UK were Tesco, Sainsbury, but William Lowe uh, was a very uh, well-known name in Scotland and began to grow quite significantly and became a real force in Scotland and indeed in the northern parts of England. So... William Lowe was another Dundee company which I was lucky enough to be employed and learned a lot about the retail trade there. But coincidentally with the growth of William Lowe was also the growth of Watson and Phillip in the wholesale grocery trade. So my uh, third uh, element that differs between my first two books is that I think I probably 
found myself uh, in the re in my real world that uh, I enjoyed so much. My boyhood days, my innocent apprenticeship days were past. Uh, I'd had my introduction into management and here I was in 1969, now a training officer with a with a major company in the, in the city. So my development uh, over all these years uh, wasn't planned by any means. These things just seemed to happen. I didn't set out uh, with a career in any shape or form. But uh, the differences, Tom, were I think in the, in the, the main part of difference was my, my own personal development. I think that's the best way to put it. From my nervous early little days, I found myself with a lot more confidence uh, going forward in Watson and Philip. Now, you, you mentioned that your latest book centres around the famous Dundee firm of Watson and Philip, and that was one of the great titans of the retail distribution industry. Can you explain a bit about the company's origins and its gradual expansion throughout the UK? Yes, certainly. Watson Philip uh, has an amazing history. As in many cases, uh, companies begin from some innocent, sometimes by chance. And in Watson Philip's case, the story goes that a ship on the eastern seaboard of the United States was about to set sail for Dundee. The, the captain had discovered a, a large void in the, uh, in the, in the hold and, and needed some, some product to fill the space and by some chance decided to use the cheapest possible commodity, presumably at hand in Ohio, uh, which was lard and uh, lard, boxes of lard were filled to the, uh, into the hold. The ship eventually arrived in Dundee, of course with boxes of lard <laughs> that nobody had ordered. <laughs> and two shipping clerks, one by the name of Joseph Philip and another Thomas Watson, two alert young men, on hearing about the lard, got to business, purchased it for presumably some quite uh, favourable sum, uh, found themselves travelling around the city of Dundee and the hinterland selling lard to baker shops, chip shops, caterers and presumably pubs etc etc. In doing so, inadvertently created for themselves a customer base. So Watson Philip started off delivering to the catering trade. This continued for several decades, um, delivering to the catering trade. They then de they developed into uh, deliveries to the grocery trade, wholesale delivery to the grocery trade. At that point in time, they were they were a private limited company, but things began to develop. Uh, briskly from about the 1960s uh, onwards. Uh, at 1968 they became a, a public limited company and uh, the whole business was divided into certain elements. One was the traditional delivered wholesale grocery trade, another was cash and carry. Uh, that was new in the 1960s. Watson Phillips was the very first wholesaler in uh, Dundee to operate a cash and carry. What mean what that means is we had grocer traders arriving at the wholesale warehouse and purchased goods on a cash and carry basis. So that was a second element. And um, so it was wholesale grocery, cash and carry and the continuation of the delivery to the catering trade. So there was three elements 
in the business when I joined it in 1969. The, um, one of the main features in wholesale grocery, however, is the element of profit. By that I mean net profit. And in delivered grocery terms, would you believe 0.5% on a range up to perhaps 1% is the net profit achievable in delivered wholesale grocery. So you need huge volumes to make any sum of money. In cash and carry, it's slightly different. It's almost on a par with what perhaps in today's world would be the multiple retail grocery world. The cash and carry net profit range is somewhere around 5 to 6% in net profit terms. Catering on the other hand, and remember this was the foundation of the company, the net profit was to achieve possibly a range between 10% and 15%. So that was a significant difference in the whole concept of being a wholesale grocer. As the years rolled by, um, there was no family member left on the, the, the board of the company. Uh, and then by accident, in the early 1990s, there was an acquisition. The company acquired uh, a wholesale grocer in Aberdeen. And along with that company came a number of retail shops which were being supplied by that wholesaler. That, this was a, a realisation within the company that hitherto when you were selling to your retail grocers of whom you had no control, suddenly the company now had a chain of retail stores where you could influence what they bought and when they bought and how they bought the product. So retailing, servicing to the retail trade became quite an eye-opener and I, I refer to it in my book as uh, another box of lard in a sense because it was sheer luck that a, a group of stores came along with an acquisition of a wholesale business. These retail shops became significant and a focus of attention within the business because the company began to realise that the greater profits could be achieved by controlling the retail business. That put the company on a compass point moving towards uh, retail. Uh, <laughs> sadly, that metamorphosis, if that's really what it was within the, the business, uh, was the beginning of the end because in a sense, the growth was so, so enticing and so attractive, there was a, 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 a huge effort made to convert the business fundamentally from wholesale into retail and sadly I find in my book that uh, that was in fact the uh, the downfall of the business. But that that's uh, the Watson and Phillips story. 1873 I remember vividly we were celebrating the centenary in 1973 and here we are 20 less than 20 years later uh, the business is no longer in existence. One of the things that really stands out from your book is the importance that you place on professional relationships and uh, you built those relationships all the way through your career. Um, it seems obvious to me that you felt this camaraderie was a significant part of your working life. So in what ways do you feel it helped to define your role at Watson and Philip over the years? It's a good point, Tom. I didn't actually realise this, but I must have been conscious at the time that as an apprentice grocer, I was... <laughs> I was a junior in the business. I had no real. Uh, I was the only apprentice in the store for a start. Um, 
So I had no real relationships uh, within the business. When I became a manager, I suddenly found myself in a slightly different but similar problem in the sense that I had to be slightly different from uh, the staffing level. I, I was a manager now and I found myself as a one-off inside my own business, inside the three branches that I managed. I had to find myself a role which was not over uh, familiar and yet effective. And then of course I moved inadvertently at the time uh, into lecturing in uh, distributive trade subjects at Dundee Commercial College. Here again I found uh, I was on my own. You might think that working in a college with colleagues in the, uh, in the educational field uh, one would have colleagues but that only goes as far as staff room chat during intervals. When you're in front of a class and you're in your own field you're very much on your own and I found myself again uh, with no real uh, close working colleagues. The change for me came in 1969 when I joined Watson Phillip I suddenly found myself in a team I think that's the best way of describing it I found myself part of a team I was sharing problems and solutions uh, one can't work in isolation as a training officer you need to move and share issues with people uh, do a lot of fact finding get to the root of problems and so I found myself viewing my fellow managers and the directors I suppose to some extent as my clients they were my customers I was there to provide a service to my colleagues and for the first time in my whole working life there there was my change and I found everything I'd done in the past had been part of a build-up to giving me the, uh, the confidence. I was never really a hugely confident person in my young day, but working as a team, I think I found my feet, Tom. Um, I had a more relaxed attitude. Uh, the, the values were shared. The common aims and the purpose, uh, after all, was to serve the public, to serve the customer, to make profit. Um, I, I do say we had fun, uh, and I described my <coughs> my relationship inside Watson Phillip was with a group of people who worked worked hard and played hard. Uh, inevitably, what saw us all through was humour. Uh, fundamentally, I think I would say I was far more effective, far more confident because I was more relaxed. Uh, that, that's that's I think the best way to try and describe my role became. Uh, defined by my by my own confidence that I began to find. You mentioned the huge changes that took place in the UK business culture of the time, um, in particular throughout the 1980s and 1990s, and you also talk about the major impact this had on your own working life. What do you think was the effect of these changes when it came to Watson and Philip? Were they slow and gradual, or was it more of a sudden cumulative influence? I think in the general world of the of the wholesale grocery trade they were gradual in my in my world they were quite more significant as a uh, a change a, a much more abrupt change because of my change in 1969 but in the 1950s and 60s the world was generally speaking let's think it was only five years or six seven years after the end of the war I was out delivering groceries on a message bike only seven years after the second world war <laughs> Life was still pretty old-fashioned, uh, I would say. 
the the grocery stores, the, the private individual grocery store, of which there were many in Carnoustie, were owned and operated by one man. The, I would say they weren't they weren't being harsh on themselves. I think they would tick along. They would realise that results were based on effort, but they weren't. They were just going to tick along. And I don't think they kept budgets to say how much percentage they've grown every year. They might like to think there was more money in the till one year following the other, but I think they would tick along in the 1950s. Uh, they weren't being driven by results and nobody was pushing them. It was a canny life, uh, I would say, for the general uh, operator in the retail grocery world. So it was a steady, gentle maintenance of a level of service to the customer. The easygoing 70s, I think, is what one might describe that in, in comparison when we look at the 90s. Uh, the impact on my working life immediately in Watson & Phillip was to be part of uh, a management team where we had budgets. We knew that uh, the company by then was a public limited company. We therefore required to know that the growth each year had to be defined. When I joined the business, the first round of discussions I, I recall were with the salespeople. And so the question from the managing director was to the salespeople, how much are we going to sell next year? And what are we going to sell next year? And how much more are, we, are you aiming to sell next year? So the first element of the budgeting process came from the salespeople who said, I think I could sell more uh, next year uh, by X amount. And once that was done, the rest of the business budgeting process would follow on from that sales projection. But as I said earlier, in the early days of private limited company and, and in the early days of public limited liability uh, restrictions, uh, that was quite gentle. But gradually the city and the investors, and as a public company it's the investors who are going to drive with the uh, cracking the whip. And so I do remember initially uh, a managing director saying, I've been to the city, uh, they're looking for X percent growth for next year, whatever, we're looking for 5%, 6.5% or whatever, and these projections are what our investors are seeking. So the managing director comes back to Dundee and says, this is what we're looking for. And that then becomes the driving force because not only do the salespeople think we could sell X amount, that the situation has turned round, the salespeople must find an element of growth. So the pressure moved from sales into profit and it moved along with the, this driving force of being a public limited company. That's where the pressures came. So I saw all these changes and witnessed these as, as they came along. Near the conclusion of your book, we see your interactions with many figures you'd worked with in years gone by or who'd been involved with the grocery retail trade themselves. What was it like to reconnect with these people so many years after you last worked alongside them? That's a good question, Tom. First of all, I find it was quite emotional. Uh, there was quite a, a huge amount of catching up to do with people. My favourite story I'd tell is that at the launch of my second grocer's boy book, which happened to be in the central libraries in Dundee, I told my little story of what my book was all about and uh, lo and behold a little queue formed to buy my book which was delighting for me and uh, 
I was signing and eventually standing in front of me was a tall young gentleman and he said I wonder if you could sign this for me Mr Murray and I looked at this gentleman and I said John <laughs> it can't be you John it turned out to be young John Allardyce an apprentice of mine going back to 1963 he was a 16 year old and um, here he was standing in front of me after all these years and here I was in 2019 with John Allardyce standing in front of me and I couldn't believe my eyes. It turned out John had stuck with the company and was an extremely successful young man, became an area manager, an influential area manager from what I eventually gathered from him. Here I was 59 years later having a chat with young John whom I thought I'd never see in my life again but he, he impressed me at the time as a 16 year old and I knew he would he would do very well. He had a, He had everything that uh, in my in my view uh, looked like being a successful man in the grocery trade. So that, that was an amazing connection. Uh, it made me begin to think about why I'd left William Lowe and so on, but that's another story. Uh, later on, after Watson Philip had folded, I had uh, been in England, of course, uh, with the company when it folded, and I had lost track with uh, the various personalities back in the Dundee head office. So when I got back based uh, in Canoosti, I set out to try and organise a reunion of employees. I, I was aware nobody had tried to do this, but I felt with, with my connections and my general overall feeling as being the personal manager, uh, I, I knew so many of them. So I set out and built a, a whole raft of names and phone numbers and lo and behold I had a hundred people turn up at a reunion in the Queen's Hotel Dundee. Uh, something like 25 years since I'd seen them all. It was absolutely amazing and uh, I, had, I had produced uh, name badges. <laughs> Sadly, I think I needed the name badges. It was quite, it was quite humorous. It was also emotional. Uh, and there they were. Uh, and we had one or two uh, reunions thereafter. So, as part of my preparation for this book, I set out to try and contact a number of the people I had kept in touch with uh, through that uh, reunion. And um, they have been absolutely brilliant. They've produced documents, booklets, uh, dates, information. They've helped me with the sequence of events because as the years roll by, sometimes it's, it's difficult to maintain the exact sequence of events that, that take place. So I'm hugely grateful to uh, a collection of my former colleagues who came along and I met up with them and, and uh, produced uh, the book, largely thanks to them and their uh, knowledge and information that they came with. So. Meeting up with the old names, I think, summed up as being emotional. Uh, let's face it, we all shared the same uh, sadness and um, frustration and, uh, and the mystery of why Watson Philip actually had died, effectively. Um, and the people I met were still grieving to some extent. Uh, I. I was redundant in, 1960, uh, 19, uh, 19, oh, in in 2002, but 
the problem uh, for me was that uh, I hadn't been in touch with the, the, my, my former colleagues for such a long time. And uh, I had been, to some extent, in my own world of regret and wondering how it all went wrong. But when I started to meet all my former colleagues, I picked up the sense of uh, uh, sadness, uh, disappointment, in some cases anger, and um, the mystery of, of how and why it all, it all went so wrong. So we shared that uh, strong work ethic all these years, 33 years, with not the same group of people necessarily, but with a lot of them, we built up what I would call something a bit akin to being on a ship's crew. You, you, you work closely with people, and when the ship sinks and you're all common survivors, you've really got something to look back on and uh, shared memories and experiences. So emotion has always been a huge part of uh, writing this book and meeting these, these individuals, whether they were the salespeople, accountants, uh, managers uh, from various parts of the business, all still there eager to help me and it was brilliant to, to get their cooperation. As you encourage people to look back at those major Scottish firms like Watson Phillip and William Lowe, what do you think are the main messages you would like them to take away from the towering legacy of these companies? It's an interesting question, Tom. I remember hearing Lord Sainsbury. <laughs> I was on a training course during my college days in London. Lord Sainsbury recounted a tale of swinging on a makeshift swing uh, attached to the door leading into the back shop in, I think it was East London, the Sainsbury family. Of course, we might associate Sainsbury with some upmarket uh, business, which indeed it, it, it probably is, but in those early, early days, uh, Lord Sainsbury was very proud of his origins. I've since read, of course, like uh, people like Thomas Lipton, can you imagine at the age of 19 went off to the States to try and find out as much as he could about the retail grocery trade, came back as a rejuvenated and um, enthused teenager, determined to grow his own business. These were dreams from individuals. And in William Lowe's case, uh, we had the same idea of a, a grocer shop in Hunter Street in Dundee, one man running a, a, a grocery store, enthused with the idea of uh, seeing it succeed. And of course, in Watson and Philip, we had the story, as I said earlier, of the, the Joseph Philip and Thomas Watson, two young men. Uh, what would drive all of these people in their common uh, force? Would just be something to improve their lives, uh, make something of themselves, perhaps seeking a, some form of independence in their employment. So the common starting point, I think, in Watson Philip and Will Bloom Laws is, is very similar to other companies. Uh, such as Tesco, Sainsbury's and, and the Thomas Lipton's of this world. So I think the, the steady growth by the members of these families were the strong foundation of the ethics and the approach, the uh, driving force, what was important uh, in the minds of these founder members and the successive generations, these feelings 
and attitudes and values were being passed on from generation to generation. I think probably that's the best way of describing all of these businesses. And William Lowe and Watson Phillip are particularly close to my heart because between the two of them, I spent all my working life practically with both these companies. And um, of course, it was a great honour to look back now and think of the values I had working for, for these two companies. So, in a sense, as they grew, they also lost their generations. They lost the contact with the original owners and uh, investors of the business. And, and suddenly, in both cases again, the common denominator is the public uh, liability company where the pressures build and build and build. Through no fault of its own, Watson Phillip was highly successful in becoming eventually uh, one the main UK food distributor. William Lowe also uh, did the same, uh, covering all of Scotland and indeed into England as well. In William Lowe's case, it had the competitive problems of the Tesco's, the Sainsbury's, the Morrison's, the Fine Fairs, etc. over the years. And the public limited liability demands on the Tesco's and Sainsbury's were the same demands on William Lowe. So all of these big companies had to find ways of satisfying their investors. And of course, in the William Lowe case, was, it was to be swallowed up by a major company such as Tesco, as, ha as it happened. So William Lowe succumbed in a sense, and the common foe here is the pressures of uh, the, the public limited company. Oddly enough, the difference is though that Watson Phillip was damaged by itself. It was it, it, there was no competitive uh, element that uh, William Lowe fell foul. It, it imploded on itself because of its. But the common denominator was the, the driving demands for more and more growth every year, and successive boards of management would have to find the answers and of course Watson Phillip as I mentioned earlier had thought it had found the answer to this by uh, following a route in the retail world where the profit margins were greater and that driving force proved to be so strong that everything else practically you know fell fell aside fell to one side uh, so basically Watson Phillip uh, damaged itself, one could say, whereas William Lowe & Company was damaged by uh, the predators. But the common denominator was this fierce battle in the City of London and the investors' uh, business of uh, uh, profit returns. So I think what people take from that is um, something about... Uh, the brilliance of how the early management brought these companies up to such a high standard as they were, that, was, that doesn't come on its own. That's a long slog of hard work and diligence and careful budgeting and, and careful management. Uh, that's on the one hand. But the other thing to take into account is the, uh, the fatality of modern business practices one could say, and uh, here we had in Dundee 
two highly successful businesses and in my own case two businesses which were to provide me with my employment and all of my working life of feeling success and uh, achievement that, that, that made my life. <clears throat> so Robbie, thank you very much for uh, sharing with us your really fascinating journey through employment uh, and one which has uh, covered a really interesting and fast-moving period in the development of uh, the grocery retail industry. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, Tom. It's uh, always a pleasure. And um, it's, uh, I didn't set out to write about my 33 years in Watson, Philip. Uh, in fact, I didn't set out to write any book at all. But uh, one thing seemed to lead to another. And uh, it's unique because probably it does reflect something about what was going on in the retail and wholesale grocery trade over these, uh, over these years of which I was part. So it was my journey. Uh, it just happened to be something that provided me with uh, a lifetime of employment, satisfaction and achievement, uh, albeit a sad end. But uh, I look back with great fond memories of both these companies and all the people I work with and uh, every single person uh, in Watson Phillip uh, I have dedicated this book to because uh, it doesn't happen by management, it doesn't happen by directors, it happens by every single effort that's put in by everyone in the business and I hope, uh, really seriously hope that uh, as many of the former colleagues of Watson Philip who buy my book will find that um, that's an, uh, a value that I have, have placed on all of them. The Grocer's Boy Gets Down to Business is available to buy from all good online retailers and independent booksellers worldwide. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that you'll tune in again soon. <laughs>